And actually, Joyce and I, my wife, and I are both speaking, and she would be here this morning, except that at our church down in Littleton, Colorado, we're in between pastors. So Joyce and I are doing a lot of Pulpitville. In fact, we're just nearing the end of a, a sermon series on the armor of God and spiritual warfare. So this morning, she's down there preaching the word to our church while I'm up here with you. Uh, right now, she's with the Collegiate Young Adult Group, which we teach every Sunday morning. And so they're all gathered, and they're finishing up a study in the book of Hebrews. It was this group that a few years ago talked me into climbing my first 14er. Yeah, yeah, not, not as great as you think. How many have done it? Oh, look at you, you guys. So we're, we're sitting there. We, the, the group's called The Bridge. And we're sitting there one Sunday morning, and they're all like, come on, David. This would be a great group activity. They're all in their 20s. <laughs> now, I've lived in Colorado 20 years, but I have not attempted a 14er. So like, they talked me into it, and we went up uh, Mount Bierstadt a couple years ago, and then we did Mount Quandry uh, last summer. And this summer, just a month ago, we went up Mount Democrat, and then the three summits right next to them. <laughs> I'm not 20-something. I'm a little older. I was the old man on the mountain. Enjoyed it, hated it, loved it, can't wait to do it again, dreading it. That's what it's like. Now, I realized during these hikes, I mean, I realized a lot of things. I'm old. I need to get in better shape. Uh, I love God's creation, but it's hard to enjoy it when you're in a lot of pain and you can't catch your breath. It's a whole different experience. And it's a very different experience than I had growing up in western Washington, where the hiking was uh, still challenging, but it was more at sea level, and it was, uh, the air was moist, and uh, you were in shade in these big evergreens a lot of the time. And I remember one particular hike after I graduated from high school, 1980, class of 80. Let me hear it for 80. Where are you? Some of you are like, I don't remember when I graduated. One of my, one of my good friends, after we graduated, said, hey, let, let's go hike uh, Mount Eleanor uh, in the Olympic Mountain Range. And I thought, that sounded like a great idea. So we started off on this hike, and it was cloudy and rainy in the middle of summer, and we were drenched after a half hour. And we hiked and hiked up through these evergreen trees, three, four, going on five hours. Right about then, as we neared the summit, uh, we, we were hiking, and we, we came right out of the clouds. And as we got above the clouds, of course, the sun was out. And as we got higher, and as we got to the summit, uh, all we could see, it was literally like when you're on an airplane, and you go through the clouds, and you look down, and you see the clouds. Well, we were on the summit. We were the only people there. It was completely quiet. And off in the distance, we could see the peak of Mount Rainier. We could see all the way down to Mount Hood in Portland, Oregon. It was one of the most majestic, peaceful, powerful moments I've ever experienced. Now, a couple things about Ron and I. One, I had been a Christian all my life, but I had not been walking with God in that my final senior year. I had a lot of turmoil and anger in my heart. And when I got up there and I experienced this peace, 
my heart just rejected it. And I actually kind of yelled out a curse at the world. And Ron, who's not a believer, standing on that mountain said, David, David, be more respectful. He was experiencing something of the, not just the awesomeness of creation, but as an unbeliever, there was a sense in his heart that God was there with us and we needed to be respectful. Have you ever been in a situation where you probably should have heard the voice of God, but like me, there's so much going on in your heart, all you can hear is your own voice. And I remember being really sad later when I came back to God that I had missed an opportunity to talk to my, one of my closest friends about the Creator and what he had done for him. In fact, it wasn't until 10 years later when I went to visit him and I said, Ron, do you remember that experience? He goes, oh, yeah. And I said, here's what I should have told you. And I was able to share the gospel with him. Francis Schaeffer wrote a book years ago. He is there, and he's not silent. He's there, and he is not silent. You guys love creation? I mean, if you don't, you came to the wrong place. This is where I might make a joke about driving to a different state east of us and enjoying are any of you from Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska? It's beautiful. I've driven through many times. I love the corn. Um, the barns. I love the barns. There you go. Uh, you know, one of the things that creation uh, that draws me is that it is a reflection of, of who God is and his glory. And that he's always trying to speak to us. In fact, the very first verse of our psalm today, 19, turn there if you haven't yet, says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. The heavens declare the glory of God. He is there and he is not silent. I think it's wonderful you've been going through the psalms. Uh, by the way, for those of you that don't uh, know me or, or Cadence, uh, my wife and I have been with Cadence for 30 years. Our headquarters is in Inglewood, Colorado, and I've been providing leadership for 20 of those years. And we have staff around the world ministering to military people and their families. Uh, yes? Okay, thank you. And thank you all. If you're a vet or connected to our military, uh, we feel it is just a great privilege to minister to military people. Uh, and that's who we are. And so we reside in Inglewood, Colorado, go to church in Littleton, and are here with you today. Would you turn to Psalm 19, and let's just look at this beautiful psalm. And I'm just going to walk through the meaning of this psalm with us and just reflect on the fact that God is there and he is not silent. Number verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. I 
imagine that you can see the stars up here a little brighter, a little better than we can down in the city. But I have been, had moments, in fact, one of them was in Nebraska, where there were no lights, and I was driving through at night, and I pulled over, and the heavens declared the glory of God. They proclaimed his essence. Now, people look up at the stars all the time. And it doesn't mean they're going to understand that there is a creator proclaiming his glory, but he is. It says day after day. It's like one day passes the baton to the night, and then we go through the night, and the night passes the baton to the day. The message of God's glory, day after night after day after night, from the beginning of creation all the way to this very morning. God is speaking about who he is through his creation. When it says the skies proclaim the work of his hands, their understanding of the skies or the firmament uh, was that God had placed a protective bowl over the earth, like a literal bowl, to hold everything in place, and that all the stars and planets were on the top of that bowl uh, moving around. They were the ones moving. But as they looked up, it, they, they saw not just the glory of God, they, they saw his protective hand over them, his love for them. I love verse 3 and 4. There, the created stars and universe, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. If you remember uh, Romans chapter 1, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. God's glory in creation speaks in every language. I don't know if you're watching the Olympics yet, but if you can imagine all those thousands of athletes one, one night that they go down to the beach and all these athletes from all these countries are on the beach and they look out over the ocean and they look up at the stars and God's glory can be understood in every one of their language. It's universal. God is speaking continually. The key question is, do we hear him? Are we listening? He's speaking in general revelation. It goes on to talk about how great the sun is and how dependent on the sun we are. God is speaking and providing. Now he shifts gears in verse 7. He's speaking about general revelation, but now he comes to the specific revelation of the law. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The law, the Torah, it is perfect. It's whole, complete, without blemish. It lacks nothing. It can revive, restore our soul. The implication is that our souls need restoring and reviving. It's one of the things we'll be talking about on the retreat. But God's word does that. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. 
This word statues is, literally means testimony, as in like a road sign that is there to warn you. That testimony is there for you to look at, for me to look at. And as we go through life, those testimonies are trustworthy. How many things in your life are completely trustworthy? Not many. Hopefully the people closest around us. Gravity is pretty trustworthy. But really, as the psalmist David is saying, God's word, these, the testimony of it is completely trustworthy. The precepts of the Lord, these are general rules intended to regulate our behavior and thought. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. You think about the things that give you joy in life. Lots of things give us joy. The psalmist is saying, God's word should give us joy. Even when it's challenging and convicting us. Because it's right. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Light to the eyes is a picture of understanding and life. That's what God word, God's word gives to us. Then he shifts in verse 9. He says, the fear of the Lord, our response is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. The word ordinance is a judicial term. It's a divine and royal demand, a judgment on what ought to occur. Those ordinances, what ought to occur, are right and true and trustworthy and altogether righteous. They're legal. This is God's word. This is God saying, I'm speaking to you all the time in my creation, including people, from the, the largest of creations to the most intimate, small. And I'm speaking to you in my word. Look at verse 10. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. This challenges me. Truly, if I had a Bible in one hand and I was flipping through the pages and I had another hand with just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars and I, and I could hold this and feel these hundreds of dollars and I could hold God's word, this might feel pretty good, but this is more precious to me. More precious than gold. It's one of the things I learned from my father growing up. My dad's been in heaven now 14 years. He died of lymphoma cancer. But growing up, uh, my dad was a custodian uh, for many years. The last 12 years of his life, he bagged groceries at Safeway. Didn't have any retirement income. We sort of lived week to week in our house. There were eight of us in a single wide trailer. I, I shared a room with my three brothers all the way through high school. That was 10 by 14. And I got a job the summer after my fourth grade to help the family, and I've been working ever since. We didn't have much gold. I, I mean, I wish for more. You know, as a teenager, I was like, where's the gold, man? I would like some gold. I was working. I was shoveling chicken manure in a chicken house for a couple of years. Woo! That was my first job, eight hours a day, shoveling six inches of stuff into a wheelbarrow and hauling it out back, dealing with 
stuff. Later on, I realized that would be great preparation for leadership. <laughs> because you have to deal with stuff. But I never heard my dad complain. He was up early. He was working hard. Sometimes he took us, uh, when he would work in graveyard, he took us to the university that uh, he was cleaning so we could learn how to work and, and learn what it means to serve other people. And so I've always had a heart for people that don't have much gold because I grew up around that. And now whenever I travel, and I travel a lot, I try to keep a couple of $5 bills in my wallet because some of the most unseen people in the world are custodians at airports. It's probably one of the worst jobs in the world. So when I travel, I just say, God, who do you want me to see and bless and remind them that they are more important than my gold. And so I just doing my, my travel thing, and then when I see someone God lays on my heart, I just pull out a $5 bill, and I say, I just want to thank you for serving us. Get yourself a latte or whatever you want to do. God bless you. And I'm always amazed at the response. I had one sweet lady tell me her life story. As I tried not to be antsy as my plane was getting ready to leave, and she was in tears, and she just said, no one has ever noticed me before. I have a friend who started leaving water out for his garbage men every week in a cooler. And I thought, that's great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. Have I already told you this story? I'm going to do something similar. So the week before Christmas, I left my garbage men a case of craft beer. And it was good stuff. And man, I think he really appreciated that. I thought, that's better than the water. And as far as we know, no garbage trucks have crashed in our neighborhood. Well, we live on sort of a long driveway. And after that, I started just leaving him uh, notes and, you know, thank you. And, you know, I got to talk to him a few times. But ever since then, he takes our roller trash cans and he, and he, he hauls them up. Uh, our driveway to the front of the house as a way of him just saying, thanks for noticing me. Well, my dad taught me people in God's word are more precious than gold. If you have gold, great. God's given it. Bless others with it. Enjoy it. But his word is telling us it doesn't compare. God's word remains forever and is more precious Finally, he goes on to say, by them, by God's statutes, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins, that they may not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. You remember Psalm 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against you. As the psalmist is going through all the benefits of God's words, he's saying, God's word deep in our hearts will help us against sin, against choosing things that are wrong. He talks about his errors or his hidden faults, things we all make mistakes, things that are they're hidden to us, often not hidden to other people. God's, God's forgiveness covers that. 
But he says, keep your servant also from willful things that they may not rule over me. God's word in our hearts is intended to keep us from willful, the choice of sin, and sins that would potentially rule over us, sins that we might become addicted to. God's word in our hearts, nourishing, feeding, guiding us, his ordinances, his statutes, all intended to keep us from sin. In my previous life before Colorado, I lived in Germany. My wife and I and our kids were working on a military base doing youth ministry. So the, the base we were at had about 600 military teenagers whose parents were stationed there in the army. And we were in partnership with the chaplain to run the youth program for him out of the chapel. It was an amazing experience. Well, one time, we were heading in to youth group in, inside after playing a game. I think we were playing kickball or something. And, and we got inside, and I realized, since I'd had that first job, I, I was re I'm really aware of things that are not where they're supposed to be. And I had stepped in some of that stuff. And the place we were going in was carpeted. And at that time, I had braces, and I always carried around a toothpick, because if you've had braces, you don't want, you know, food just hanging out your mouth. So I thought, I'm just going to, you know, clean the grooves of my shoe, my toothpick, before I go in. This wasn't a bad idea, but my next step was where I blew it. I'm not that conscientious about littering, but to throw away that toothpick even in Germany, which is a very neat country, it's a piece of wood. It would have been just fine. But I made the decision, the fateful decision, that I'm going to carry it in and throw it in the trash. Now, I'm on my way to the trash to throw away this toothpick covered in stuff. And our daughter, Kareth, at the time, she may have been about four, she was entertaining everybody with I don't know what. She was singing and dancing, and people were all gathered around. And so I just started enjoying my daughter as she entertained the youth group. But then, in a moment of realization, I had this powerful burning sensation in my whole mouth. Because out of just habit, Without being aware, of course, I just started picking my teeth with that toothpick. And I was very thorough pushing that stuff between my teeth. <laughs> when it dawned on me what I had done, I, I, I just started to retch and gag. I was just, ah, and everyone looked at me. Now I was the entertainment as I ran to the bathroom and I was rinsing it out. And of course, explaining what had just happened. I could not get that taste out of my mouth for a long time. I tried everything. Oh my. Well, at least I can say I know what it tastes like. It, it's kind of, it's a little bitter, you know. Hint of barley. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. My wife, my precious wife, she would not kiss me for weeks and weeks. And when she finally did, it was an act of love. <laughs> In Romans, it says, 
to us. Hate what is evil. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. We're to hate sin. The only way we're going to hate sin is if we have such a love for righteousness and truth in us that when we taste what is wrong and evil and sinful, it is repulsive to us. And only God's word can give us the measure and the taste for righteousness and truth that will help us discern and have that response to evil. That's what God's word can do for us. The heavens declare the glory of God. He is there. He's not silent. God's word specifically is revealing God's heart to us continuously. It's it's there always available. His voice to us. Are we listening? Do we hear him? And I know often it's not an audible voice. But the Spirit is always speaking in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control to us. Well, let me close with something I wrote just this last spring. I had the privilege of speaking for Colorado Christian University Spring Retreat. So it was about 300 of us up at, uh, where were we, Estes Park. And we were speaking, I was speaking, we were interacting the whole weekend on this psalm. And as I was studying this psalm and looking at what God's word says about itself, not just here, but you could spend a long time in Psalm 119. But then there are so many scriptures that speak about the benefits of God's word, the power of God's word, how God can speak to us through his word. And I knew I just wasn't going to be able to cover all that in that time, so I tried to write out and summarize what God's word says about itself. And so I'm just going to read you my scribbles in closing to try to capture God's voice to us in his word. Here it is. God's word. It is alive, active, sharper than a sword. It penetrates to soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It is God-breathed, divine, inspired revelation, prophetic, poetic, and powerful. It is perfect, flawless, pure, sure, right, radiant, gold, trustworthy, reliable, deep, rich, consecrated, and unchained. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, guiding, training, claiming, proclaiming, preaching, encouraging, comforting, illuminating, convicting, celebrating, mobilizing, stirring, challenging, calibrating, galvanizing, spreading, growing, building up, bearing fruit, sustaining, healing, and giving hope. It's our promised inheritance. It is a seed imperishable, a rock immovable, a force unstoppable, a power unimaginable, a truth irrefutable, a love undeniable, a treasure unsurpassed, and a knowledge 
unequal. It is the word of life. It is the word of grace. It is the word of the Lord. The person who follows God's word will be wise, blessed, godly, righteous, holy, pardoned, redeemed, sanctified, delighted, joy-filled, rewarded, fed, full, and satisfied. God's word should dwell in us richly, abide in us deeply, transform us completely, anchor us firmly, and mobilize us boldly. And above all, it is an amazing love letter from the heart of God to his beloved children. And it will remain forever. my closing question is, is it precious to you? More precious than gold? Are you hiding it in your heart? Are you listening for God who has spoken to us in creation and through his word? He is there, he is here, and he's not You're speaking right now. You're encouraging. You're challenged. You might be convicting. But you're speaking. Attune our ears to your voice. Open our eyes to your word, to your glory, that we might live it and reflect it to those around us. And we pray this to your honor and glory.